Father, I do thank you that we can come to you again and again and again. And you hear us and you respond. And Father, right now I come to you and just ask for your help that you would <clears throat> speak through me the words that you want spoken and you would give us ears to hear what you want us to hear this morning from your word. Please teach us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The Persian Empire was founded by Cyrus the Great around 550 uh, BC and upon founding the Persian Empire he gave himself the title King of Kings King of Kings the Persian Empire um, was predominantly around the, the Middle East and uh, it happened to become the largest empire in terms of people that were under the empire at the time. Um, there were only 49.4 million people that were within the Persian Empire, but because of that time, that was 44% of the world's population. 44% of the world's population was dominated by the Persian Empire. Um, and yet in 330 B.C., a man by the name of Alexander the Great brought the Persian Empire to an end. Um, another empire, the Roman Empire, one of history's greatest empires. Um, the Romans displayed the ability through their legions to conquer large swaths of territory and ended up to be probably in terms of years the most dominant empire that has ever lived. In, um, up to 2,000 years, um, the Roman Empire, uh, through the Eastern Empire, continued the rule of the Romans. Empires, kingdoms. Um, we're going to begin this morning... Um, a series on the kingdom of God. And we come to Philippians chapter 2 after it talks about Jesus' death and, and his resurrection. Uh, there's going to be a day when Jesus is acclaimed what? King of kings and Lord of lords. It says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and so as we're going to talk a little bit about world empires today uh, and then talk about an introduction to the kingdom of God, I want us to, to think about what does it mean to be a part of the greatest kingdom, the greatest empire that has ever lived, uh, the kingdom of God. And this morning, I want us to just get a taste of that and, and a glimpse, and I hope in a, in a fresh way, kind of a vision of that this is something that we're a part of. Just like it meant for the Persians or the Romans or, or others to be a part of world 
dominating empires. I looked on uh, my favorite source for uh, information, uh, Google search. <laughs> and I want to just, just to kind of set the stage, I, there was, I found the 10 most expansive empires in history. Uh, I'm not going to list them. I'm just going to kind of summarize them and then kind of conclude with the last five. But to give you a glimpse of, of the empires that have ruled uh, throughout history, three of those empires were Islamic caliphates. Um, following Muhammad's death, there were three uh, Islamic caliphates, the Rashidun, the Abbasid, and the Umayyad caliphates. Does that word sound familiar to any of you? There's another wannabe world empire existing today that wants to be an, a caliphate, it, ISIS. And it, it, it's hearkening back to these caliphates that dominated the world and were three of the world's most expansive empires. Uh, and that's the ambition of ISIS today, is to be the same world dominating empire. There were two Chinese dynasties, um, the Yuan dynasty and the Qing dynasty. The Qing dynasty actually was almost as big as the, um, the Persian empire. Under the Qing dynasty, 35% of the world's population was controlled by that dynasty. The Portuguese Empire, one of the biggest empires that ruled the world. Coming down to the top four, the Spanish Empire. It's one of the reasons why Spanish is the number two language in the world today. The number one being English. Chinese. <laughs> you people are way too ethnocentric. <laughs> English is number three. Mandarin, number one, Chinese. Spanish number two, English number three. Just look it up on Google, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking first, people's first language, okay? The first language being spoken. The Spanish Empire covered 7.72 million square miles. And to put that in perspective, the United States covers half of that, 3.7 million square miles. There were 68 million people a part of the Spanish Empire being 12% of the world's population. Um, the Russian Empire, number three, covered 9.15 million square miles and 9% of the world's population. Number two, what do you think the number two largest expansive empire in the history of the world the Mongol Empire also covered 16% of the Earth's land mass and 25% of the world's population united under Genghis Khan, if you remember him from history. Again, it was in 1331 under the height of the Mongol Empire that the Black Death, began to rampage in Mongolia and ended up bringing the Mongol Empire to its knees and into decline. 
It's one of the things that was interesting studying world empires, uh, the things that brought them to their pinnacle and the things that brought them to their decline. So the, the largest empire of all the lists I looked at was always number one, the largest empire that has ever been throughout history by far, the greatest, most expansive empire. Anybody know? My wife and Daniel can't say because they guessed wrong yesterday. The British Empire. The British Empire. The British Empire covered 13 million square miles, 22%, almost a quarter of the world's land mass, and 20% of the world's population in 1938. The, uh, and the, the saying was, and it was a true saying, that the sun never set on the British Empire. It, it, it expanded from Canada to India and everything in between, Australia. Um, but again, the financial burden of World War I was the beginning of the end for the British Empire, along with Japan's occupation of its territories in World War II. The, um, a question, if, if you were to look, in, as I did, at all these empires, and, and you could include empires like Napoleon, Egyptian. You could include others like um, Alexander the Great. Um, and you could, you could go on and on. Um, but the question is, what is the, what is the single unifying thread through all these empires that is consistent? And, and in, in some ranks, and I looked at them, it's that they all have a beginning and they all have this goal to dominate the world but amazingly, they all have an ending also. They all come to an end. No matter how powerful, no matter how great, no matter how expansive, every empire in the world has come to an end except one. And that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Listen to Daniel's summarization of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in, in, in Daniel chapter 2. As Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of this statue, of the head of gold, chest of silver, waist of bronze, legs of iron and, and feet of iron and, and clay mixed together. And as Daniel came in and interpreted the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, this is how he concluded. He said, in the days of those empires and Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, the ones portrayed by the statue, he says, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. The kingdom of God. The, the question though, that I have this morning is we're just kind of going to look at a lot of scriptures this morning and, and introducing this idea of the kingdom of God is, what is it? What is the kingdom of God? Um, when, when you hear the word kingdom of God, what do you think of? Um, I think a lot of us think of heaven, right? You think of the word kingdom of God, and, and the kingdom of God is all often referred to as the kingdom of heaven. But I think a lot of us, when we, when we hear the word kingdom of God, we think of something that's just in the future, that's something that's to come, which is true. Listen to this, Revelation chapter 21, 1 to 5. And I hope as I quote a lot of these scriptures this morning, you'll be impressed 
by the kingdom of God in a, in a way that you never have before. Revelation 21, 1 to 5, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's, that's the future hope of the kingdom of God. And yet, as we begin to look at the kingdom of God, and we're, we're talking hundreds of passages throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, as we begin to look at it, we see that it's so much more than just this eternal future glimpse that was described in Revelation 21. Listen to these verses. And again, I, I want you to just kind of get a sense and soak in this idea of the kingdom of God. Psalm 93, 1 and 2. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved your throne, O Lord, is established from of old. You are from everlasting. And what I'd like you to do is just look at some pictures here for a second. The, um, and, and why we're looking at these pictures as we're, as we're trying to get a glimpse of the kingdom of God is to compare it, how incredibly it's impossible to compare the largest empire in the world was what the British Empire and its land mass was 13 million square miles. Now I want you to get a glimpse of how puny that that is compared to God's rule and God's reign and God's creation. This is a galaxy cluster which probably just looks like kind of ink blots right now. But notice what it says. The galaxies in this image mostly lie about 5 billion light years from the Earth. And just in case you forgot what a light year is, I'm sure most of you know that. The, uh, a light year, meaning the time it takes for light to travel in one year, is 5 trillion eight hundred and seventy eight billion four hundred and ninety nine million eight hundred and ten thousand miles that's one light year eight we'll round it off seven six trillion miles and this is five billion of those that's the expansiveness go ahead to the next one this is a a cluster, it's called the Westerland 2. It's a cluster of 3,000 stars named after this guy. 3,000 stars, go ahead. We're just going to flip through these. This is a, some of these are, it's just amazing. You look at these, um, um, 
these are all images that were taken by the Hubble telescope. Well, go ahead and go back to the other one. Just, I'm sorry. The Horsehead Nebula. Isn't these are incredible. Um, this is a constellation um, in the Orion uh, galaxy. This is the Orion Nebula. More than 3,000 stars, it says, are forming in the cloud of gas and dust known as the Orion Nebula. The Butterfly Nebula. Note it says, try rolling cauldrons of gas heated to more than 36,000 degrees, moving across space at 600,000 miles an hour. Um, and which means you could get to the, from the Earth to the moon in 24 minutes. That's how fast this thing's moving. The Omega Centauri. Um, it, it says it looks like a tangle of Christmas lights. No, it's just 100,000 stars in this star cluster. That's 100,000 stars. And these things aren't, you know, the size of, you know, a basketball. <laughs> these are huge, 100,000 of these stars. And it says, but the, the Omega Centauri actually houses nearly 10 million stars. You get the expansiveness of the God's kingdom, <laughs> of his creation? Um, the stellar spire in the Eagle Nebula. It's 9.5 light years or about 57 trillion miles high. That's, I'm sure most of us can grasp that. And then the, the NGC 4214, the dwarf galaxy, located around 10 million light years away. Can we comprehend that? How far that is from us? 10 million times 8 trillion miles away. So that's, that's the expansiveness of the kingdom of God. Psalm 113 says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks down on these galaxies? He's not a part of these. Who looks down on the heavens and the earth? That's, that's our God who reigns. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Can, you, can we search out that greatness? says, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. To make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. One of the things that just became so clear to me as I just read verse after verse after verse about the kingdom of God is how incredibly small I begin to look at things. How, how I get so bogged down by my little life and, 
and what I go through every day and the problems I face and the struggles I go through that I, I, I lose sight of this huge thing that I'm a part of, way bigger than the British Empire, the Persian Empire. It's the kingdom of God. It's the empire of Jesus. Daniel 4.34, Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most powerful men, one of the most powerful empires, the Babylonian Empire that took over, conquered the Assyrian Empire, was then taken over by the Persian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4 says, I lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and no one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So God's kingdom is incredible. Um, But why is it worth spending weeks looking at? At these dozens, these hundreds of verses, what what is worth looking at? And I just want to summarize really quickly to give you a glimpse of what we're looking at in the next nine weeks. Why this topic of the kingdom of God is so important. Um, Nine things. Number one, because the Lord is king. The Lord is king. And that demands a response. There's three responses. There's lots of responses. But because the Lord is king and our responses demand, here's three responses that we see. And three responses I want you to ponder as, as we look ahead in the weeks, but even just pondering the immensity of God's kingdom right now. Isaiah 66, 1 says, The Lord says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. That's pretty humbling for humanity, isn't it? Earth is my footstool. All these things my hand has made. All these things we looked at and everything else. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one whom I will look to. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The Lord is king, and and one of the correct responses is to tremble at his word. And how often do we go through our days as as if he didn't even exist? Tremble. Number two, worship. The Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the heavens are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the God, our maker. And praise. Psalm 99.1 says, The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He sits enthroned. Upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The Lord is king. We should tremble. We should worship. We should praise him. But often we have this response. In 1875, 
One of William Ernest Henley's legs required amputation due to complications from tuberculosis. Um, Immediately after the amputation, he was told that his other leg would also have to be amputated, but, but instead he enlisted the services of a distinguished surgeon who was able to save his leg. And while recovering in the infirmary, he was moved to write the verses of a well-known poem, which, which showed his response to what happened to him. Instead of trembling and worshiping and praising and thanking the, the God of the, the universe for his leg, this is what he wrote. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Uh, the well-known poem Invictus. Um, if, if that's where you're at this morning, I just ask you to consider if you really have grasped the immensity of the kingdom of God and that God is king and, and we are just... So, like Daniel said, we're like nothing. If we, if we understand the immensity of God's universe and the kingdom of God, the incredible thing is why would God even regard us or care about us? But that's the second thing that we've got to understand as we understand the kingdom of God is not only is the Lord his king, but the Lord, the king, created us to be a part of his kingdom. Incredible. I mean, the God who created things that are trillions and trillions and trillions of years tall and, and, and distant, this immense kingdom that is his, that God created this planet Earth and created us in his image to reign with him, to be a part of his kingdom, to rule with him. Do we get that? That incredible privilege? And that's, what, that's why we need to learn about this kingdom of God because God despite how huge and immense and eternally is he made us to be a part of his kingdom and to rule with him, to be co-rulers with him. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And we could look at the last verse of Hebrews chapter 1 and see that that includes the huge and powerful and incredibly awesome beings that are called angels whom God created to serve us who God created to rule with him and be a part of his kingdom the king created us to be a part of his kingdom but the third reason why we need to understand this kingdom is that the kingdom is under assault the kingdom is under assault and 
And we, as God's premier creation, created to rule with him, are in the middle of it, in the thick of it. And every one of us needs to ask, where am I in the midst of this this battle between kingdoms? In Psalm 2, listen, it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And so there's this worldwide, universe-wide conflict going on. Ephesians 2.1, Paul writes, you were dead in the trespasses, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so the Lord is king and he created us to be a part of his kingdom. And yet there's been a pretender, a usurper that has come and tried to wrench that kingdom away and has turned many against the king. A usurper that came to steal and kill and destroy as it describes in John chapter 10 verse 10. And yet many of us have fallen like William Henley into the trap of thinking that we don't need the king. We got this. And we can be kings of our own lives. And deceived and fooled, fooled we, we might find out eventually. We will find out eventually when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, that we were deceived and in fact we were following a usurper instead of the king himself. The fourth reason why it's so important that we understand the kingdom of God is that, is that it's why Israel existed and it's why the church existed. So often we, we focus on Israel and we focus on the church when in the panorama of the biblical scheme of things it's the kingdom it's the eternal kingdom it's god's rule and god's reign and so it helps us to understand how israel fits into the picture and how the church fits into the picture if we understand the kingdom of god in exodus 19:5, we read god says if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant This is God speaking to Israel. He says, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Number five, it's why the Messiah was promised. And of the dozens of prophecies in the Old Testament and the fulfillment in the New Testament, listen to what this says, Isaiah 9, 6. For us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. That's why Jesus came. 
really quickly. It's what John the Baptist prepared people for. When John the Baptist came in Matthew 3, 2, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew 4, 17, when Jesus arrived to be baptized by by John, Jesus repeated, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did he mean? He meant, I'm here. The king has come. And so we see Jesus in Matthew 4.23 going throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. In Matthew 5, we see Jesus teaching the Beatitudes on his Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the, blessed are the, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 13 and a lot of other places, we see Jesus teaching parables. And what are they? They're parables of the kingdom. They're parables to let us know what the kingdom will be like. And so he gives us all kinds of pictures, pictures of a mustard seed and pictures of sheep and goats and ten virgins. And they're all pictures to help us understand what the kingdom of God is like. And so as the early church got this, as Jesus died, as he was raised, as he ascended back to heaven... What did they talk about? Well, you know, if they talked about often what we talk about, I don't think they would have ever talked about the kingdom. Because so often we talk about Jesus, he died and he was raised and he ascended, and those are, those are important things. Those are the heart of, but they're a part of the bigger picture, the kingdom and why he came and what he came to accomplish. And so the early church Acts chapter 12, it says, when they believed, Philip, they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. Acts 14, 22, Paul says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encourage them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Just one more. These are just snippets. And Now behold, Paul says, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. We get get to see how important this theme of the kingdom is. And one more. Because the kingdom is how we are supposed to live and pray. It's what we're to be about. In the Lord's Prayer, how many of us have really pondered, what does it mean when Jesus says, pray like this, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is happening in heaven right now, God, may your kingdom right now be happening on earth. May that be what I'm about and how I'm living and what I'm praying for. It's incredible. I think it would have been incredible to be a part of an empire like the Persian Empire, the Mongol Empire, the British Empire, who and the, I think the pride. I think as people who live in the United States of America, we have that same pride being a part of a, call it an empire that is so powerful and, and has such vast influence. And, and yet, as you look at the United States of America compared to other empires, it's pretty puny. 
But as you look at it compared to the kingdom of God, I mean, what an incredible privilege that God has given us, has created us to be a part of his kingdom. Just one last thing I'd like to quote for you. Uh, they were, these are thoughts from one of the empire makers, Napoleon, while he was exiled on the rock of St. Helena. Uh, he was no longer uh, the powerful Napoleon. He's exiled. But he was the conqueror of civilized Europe. And uh, at one point, it's like all of Europe was under his thumb. He called to somebody to his side and he asked him, can you tell me who Jesus Christ was? This is Napoleon. The individual declined to respond and Napoleon countered, well then I will tell you. And I want you to think about this as we conclude. Alexander, Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I myself have founded great empires. But upon what did these creations of our genius depend? Upon force. Jesus alone founded his empire upon love, and to this very day, millions will die for him. I think I understand something of human nature, and I tell you, all these were men, and I am a man. None else is like him. Jesus Christ was more than a man. I have inspired multitudes with such an enthusiastic devotion that they would have died for me. But to do this, it was necessary that I should be visibly present with the electric influence of my looks, my words, my voice. When I saw men and spoke to them, I lightened up the flame of devotion in their hearts. But Christ alone has succeeded in so raising the mind of man toward the unseen that it becomes insensible to the barriers of time and space. Across a chasm of 1,800 years, Jesus Christ makes a demand which is beyond all others difficult to satisfy. He asks for that which a philosopher may often seek in vain at the hands of his friends or a father, his children, or a bride of his spouse, or a man of his brother. He asks for the human heart. He will have it entirely to himself. He demands it unconditionally, and forthwith his demand is grant granted. Wonderful. In defiance of time and space, the soul of man, with all its powers and faculties, becomes an annexation to the empire of Christ. Are you a part of the empire of Christ? Or are you a captain of your own soul? Has your soul been annexed by Christ? He's king. And someday, whether we like it or not, every, every human being who has ever lived, as history comes to a close, will bow the knee and will with tongues confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. It's, it's him for whom we were created. He is king. Are you serving his kingdom? Are you part of his kingdom? Let's pray. Father, 
we've gone through a lot of scriptures. We've just breezed through a lot of things this morning and trying to just get a glimpse of your greatness, uh, greatness that we can't even begin to comprehend. Father, how high and deep and wide and long is your greatness and your love to us in Jesus. Father, I pray this morning that you would, maybe through what has been communicated, just create the beginning of a a longing or a curiosity in in each one of us to know your greatness and to search out your greatness and and to serve you and to know you as our king, the king that you are. Oh God, I pray that you would teach us Help us to understand in Jesus' name. Amen.